And so this is very significant. What we just did right here in, in, in worship, very significant, very important. You know, when we're together, we have such an extraordinary promise from Scripture. And it's this, that when two or three are gathered, I am there also. Meaning Jesus is there with us. He is present. Do you understand that we worship not just in the presence of one another, but that we worship in the presence of Jesus? You, can, you, can you wrap your mind around that? For me, that's enough for me to give up at 4.30 in the morning. Come here, serve, throw myself in, and go and do church. Not just necessarily in my closet, but with a group of people. So we looked at Jesus, the head of the church, Christ, the, 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 the builder of the church, and, and we found that, uh, you know, Jesus always gets the real special, important jobs, doesn't he? I mean, you think about salvation. Yeah, you can laugh. That was supposed to be funny. Somebody got it a little bit. But anyway, I mean, Jesus often gets important roles to play. And now in his seated at the right hand of God, resurrected ministry, Jesus is what? He's both leading the church as its head. Listen, hey, newsflash, I am a pastor, right? But I am not the pastor. I am not the shepherd of Hilltop Church. Jesus is the head of this body. He is the great shepherd. He is the great pastor of which I hope all of us are following. Jesus is also the builder of the church. He's, he's intricately involved, putting her together, designing, framing, and building his church. I mean, that is awesome. Two very significant roles that Jesus plays now in his resurrected ministry. And then last Sunday, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Bethany pretty much got the whole room to respond to an altar call. I don't know how she does that, God. And she was, after service, she's like, I don't know if I hit the mark. I'm like, you, what is wrong with you? And the whole room stood in response to the gospel. I mean, geez. There's some, pray for her. We need Jesus to intervene in her, in her heart. In her identity, she's called. But she talked out of 1 Peter, and she made some connections and some distinctions, right, between the Old Testament priest and us. And, and, and we found that in making those distinctions and those connections, that we really don't have to reinvent the wheel. We really don't have to think that much outside of the box to wonder what we are called to do. We don't really have to think that much uh, about about, oh God, am I called to this or called to that? We found that in Scripture, the Scripture calls us to pre being a priest, a royal priesthood, that much, much of our duties are just priesting before the Lord, adoring Jesus, worshiping God, giving Him our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And so that leads us to today where we'll be talking about community, and I hope to come from a different angle this morning uh, than I have in the past in talking about community because there's just some obvious things that pastors, you know, in Scripture and, and in their discussion kind of talk about when it comes to community. And I'm going to try to stay away from that, come from a different angle. And I hope the angle that I come from is very biblical-based, meaning it's in Scripture. Therefore, because I, I just believe if it's in Scripture, every one of us have a responsibility to respond to it.
If it's just me, then yeah, I, I, I feel like, hey, let's just pack it up. But if it's actually in God's inspired word, then it's something that we should probably give our attention to. More than just our attention, we should probably behave and kind of lock in, serve and give and be part if it's actually something that God values. So this leads me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You could turn there with me. Uh, chapter 4, we're reading out of the ESV this morning, and we're only going to pick up our reading, excuse me. On, uh, in verse 10 through 12. Three verses. Uh, it's going to be on the overhead, I'm sure. I should have uh, submitted my scripture prior to, uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, there it is. Oh, no, she's giving me the thumbs up. Anyways, this is what Ecclesiastes says. It says, two are better than one. There is the framework. All right, that is the foundation of what I'm going to be talking about today. The concept of community. The concept that two is better than one. Yes, you may disagree with that concept, but this is scripture that we're talking about. And so let's read on. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. My wife is saying, hallelujah, it's so true. Anybody have any spouses that kind of just like suck the warm air from you in bed? They're just like, their feet are like ice and they just like put, like it's 12 o'clock, you're already asleep and you feel like just the encroaching of these solid ice brick feet rubbing against your calves and suddenly you're not awake anymore? <laughs> I got that. You, you, I mean, you can feel my pain, all right? Almost every day. And now we're heading into winter, so it's even. My wife is the only person that I know can be full sweater garb in the middle of summer. And it's, it's hot. Oh, it's, it's, it's muggy out. And she's walking around the house because we have the AC, like, on 75. She's walking around in full sweater garb, like, long, plaited, long johns. And she's just, oh, make me tea. I'm so cold. I don't get it. But I, I you know, there's... We got, the winter's going to be interesting. Praise God. <laughs> okay. Again, if, if two lie together, they keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against uh, the one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then I love the end of verse three, uh, 12. Excuse me. A threefold cord is not easily broken. See, the concept here that Ecclesiastes is going after is not necessarily just two are better than one, but that community is better than none. So, there, you know, he's not the first person that felt this way. You know, God felt this way in Scripture. As early as Genesis, God felt this way in Genesis chapter 2. We'll pick up our reading in 15, and we'll go to 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then God took the man and put him in the garden to work and keep it. I love that God's first uh, thing that he did with man is put him to work. <laughs> I love that. But anyways, that's not the sermon. And then the Lord God commanded that man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, here it is, verse 18, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. You know what's interesting? That after God created the heavens and the earth. His observation after creating all these beautiful things like trees, the sun, 
You stop it. I can't even wrap my brain. But after he creates all these beautiful things in which we enjoy today, he sits back and he says what? It is good. It's good. But yet when it came to Adam being alone in the garden, God had a different feeling. He had a different take on it. And it was not good. And that is quite striking for many obvious reasons. At least I hope they are obvious, but if they're not, let me help you. Despite the picture-perfect conditions and the perfect environment, right, there, there was something wrong. There was something bad. Uh, there was something off. What's fascinating about this observation that God made is its timing. It's timing, right? This was a time when mankind shared in unbroken fellowship with God. They, they walked with God. They heard God's voice. I mean, this was before the fall. Now, I'm not the first to make this observation, but I think it's, it's pretty significant. What I'm trying to say is how could something, how could something like this exist in the presence of God? How, I mean, how could anything bad exist in the presence of God? And, and, and here, here's just my last point. If this was bad before the fall, then how much more is it not good for us today? Are you hearing me today? If, if this observation was made prior to the fall, prior to this separation between man and God, how much more? How much more is it imperative that we key in, that we listen up to just how much God values community? It's not good, he says, that man should be alone. Now, Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you make known to me uh, the path of life. Listen up. In your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy and pleasures at your right hand forevermore. God's observation uh, for Adam's need for companionship, let's say, uh, was, uh, was, was noticed, was observed well before the revelation of Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, ever came and entered into the mind of man. Adam essentially should have been experiencing the very peaks and heights of complete joy and absolute pleasure in the presence of God, right? Am I right? Talk to me, people. You, know, just long, you can amen me down. So, so this leads to a conclusion here. What is the problem? And is there a problem at all? Was there something lacking? No, of course not, right? In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. There's nothing lacking. The, the, the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of Genesis, the rest of Psalms doesn't say that there's something off about God's presence. It's, it's, it's a place where you experience complete joy, absolute uh, pleasure. So was there something off? Was Adam unable to fill feel, excuse me, fully satisfied in the presence of God. And the conclusion should be, of course not. Of course not. So then, hence, what is the problem? 
What is, what is missing here? I mean, because, guys, hear me now. The, the words in Genesis chapter 2, 18, that God saw Adam being alone is not good are shocking words. They, they should rattle us. They are, I mean, in God's presence, anything but imperfection or something wrong or something off, this does not exist, shouldn't exist. So what is the problem? There is no problem. There's no problem with God. There's no problem with Adam. Here it is. Adam was created, all right? Thus, we have been created with a capacity for relationship, a great need. And also, my single friends, all right, you fellas essentially here in the room that are single, um, there's more to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 than Adam simply needing a wife. If I had a dollar for every young man who came into me either interested in somebody that maybe wasn't biting, maybe interested in somebody that was biting and they maybe wanted to fast track things up. So they're burning with lust. Oh, just, it's not good for me to be alone. No, let's, let's just erase that. God had far more in his mind than just you getting your jollies off. Marriage is far more, I know some of you guys are looking, listen, I have to meet with a lot of people who are either in the throes of marriage or wanting to be married. And some of our concept about marriage, of some things that they're going to maybe supply and do for us and work out for us, especially in the area of our sexuality, is impractical, not biblical, and here it is not seen. God had far more in mind than just Adam's need for a wife. More importantly than Adam's physical and emotional needs or psychological needs was Adam's purpose to complete God's purpose. Adam's need for companionship here is directly connected, guys, uh, to God's command of ruling and subduing the earth. That is, that, is, that is why he sees fit to give Adam a helper. God supplied this need for Adam by creating him a suitable helper with whom he could do the work of which God assigned him, or mankind now, to do. So in short... Here's my conclusion. Not the conclusion of the sermon, I don't think. <laughs> but we never know. God made Adam for relationship. God made you for relationship. Okay, that's what we're, that's what we're discovering right now, is that God, from the very beginning, gave his creation in Adam. Uh, the desire, the capacity for relationship, relationship first with God himself and relationship with the rest of creation. So in God's opinion, two are better than one. So how does this, how does this connect to us today? I mean, we can see this in Scripture, right? Hopefully we can see that God had an interest, he had an observation. He said, oh, that's not good. I need to provide for Adam a helper, uh, somebody, because two is better than one. What does that mean for us? What, how do we relate? You know, how do we make the connections? You know, I've often asked myself the question, what, are, what is really the need for relationships? I mean, I get my relationship with my wife. I get my relationship with my family. But sometimes it's just flat out hard to have relationship with people outside of that sphere outside of family. It's really hard. Why? Because, you know, 
if you haven't noticed, I'm a strange guy. I'm somewhat awkward. Uh, I'm somewhat sweaty. I'm somewhat loud. I'm somewhat projected. I dance weird. I talk weird. I look mad. I'm not. <laughs> so it's not easy to, to, to understand who I am. And relationship can be complicated, can it? If, if two are better than one, right, why is divorce rampant in our world? And, and, and forget the world, friends. Let's just take the church. Let's just take the church, for example. Let's not look at the world. Let's just look within the four walls of the church. Why are so many relationships in the church in conflict, in dire need of help and healing? So many relationships broken up today. So many people divided over this and that. But yet God's conclusion is, no, two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. God loves community. But yet we do such a bad job at really fostering and creating and walking low, forgiving one another so that community can exist. Instead, we're just broken and divided over this and that. I mean, there are several reasons, guys, why I'm not totally convinced um, that two are better than one. There's, there's a lot of even current reasons where I'm just like, I, I just like escape with my family away Nobody's opinion, nobody's disagreement, nobody's this and that, and just do family. Just do it. And a lot of us do do that under the pressure and the weight of, of, of conflict and, 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 and separation and disagreement. We often do tend to grab our cards and just, I'm going to go over to my little corner away from you. It's not safe. And therefore, church becomes a real hard thing to do. This is so split up. It's so broken up. So what are the real advantages? Are there any benefits to our relationships at all? Listen, the truth is right here, guys. We can all agree, nod our heads, yes. Relationships are not easy. They're difficult, right? Sometimes they're outright messy. The interesting thing is the ones who are closest to us the most seem to be the ones who hurt us, misunderstand us, mistreat us the most. And so out of those experiences, we start to shape or construct a different reality uh, other than God's word of, of, of how God values uh, relationships. We start, to, we start to make a different kind of like, well, I don't know if necessarily my experiences, if they complement, if they kind of complete. God's word and his value around community and his values around relationship. I don't really know. I've been so hurt. And therefore, another narrative starts to be built in our minds and in our hearts and the way we live. We think it's better just to isolate away, pull away. Too much pain, too much hurt. Let's say I've had a bad string of relational experiences. This is what I'm trying to explain, and I'll read it right off my notes here. I've had a bad string of relational experiences throughout my past. And those bad experiences start to confuse. And this is not just with relationships. This is life in general. This, this gets right down to the bone and marrow of every little jaunt and tittle of our lives and how we relate to one another, how we relate to our husbands, how we relate to our wife's children, how we do church, how we do you know, community. This, this, this is really, it goes be, beyond just relationships. 
But I've had a bad string of relationships, uh, experiences throughout my past. And, and those bad experiences start to confuse. And they start to kind of rewrite in my brain and in my heart a different truth than God's word regarding relationships. And, and those bad experiences start to shape a different reality, a different uh, narrative than God's word. Here's the scary reality. Guys, we often filter, we often filter the truth of God's word through our experiences. Let me, let me say that again. We often, all of you do it. No one, I do it. My wife does it. All of us do it. We tend to filter our experiences, uh, I'm sorry, God's word through our experiences when we should be filtering our experiences through God's word. Now, we can all nod and shake our head and say, amen, brother, and thank you for it because it encourages me. But when it actually comes to living it out, it's not easily done, is it? Because often our experiences want to cause us to isolate, pull away. Ah, you don't understand me. (laughs) Join the club. So essentially, the, the rationale here, which most of us construct this rationale, is I know, I know, God, what you have to say. I know what it says about your word, but these are my experiences. And they do not com- complement, excuse me, your truth. And then we have a bit of a dilemma on our hands. Are we going to let the truth of God's Word, rule and reign in our hearts? Or are we going to choose to pull away because we've had bad experiences and nobody understands us? We should start to filter our experiences through the Word of God. We should get rid of, this is my recommendation, you don't have to do it, it's what I do. We should get rid of everything that God's Word does not stand under and, 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 and validate in our lives, and we should keep from those experiences everything that does complement the Word of God. Because here's the deal. When you start moving outside of the framework of God's Word, you have to work hard to start work to validate those truths yourself. <laughs> it wasn't even that deep, but when you start living life, even emotionally, out of the borders and out of the safety zones of God's word, and and, and you start to, you know, come up with these weird kind of interpretations, these weird kind of, uh, um, you know, um, truths that only come by just experiences, you have to now work really extensively in convincing others and even convincing yourself because there's going to be often times when you get into the word of God and you're like, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that does not say that. <laughs> That's not what it says. But yet, this is what that person preached, or this is what my experiences say. We have to start filtering our experiences through God's word and when it comes to relationships. So what am I saying? Two are better than one. Sorry, John, I just spat at you. So I apologize. It's probably spit and sweat at the same time. Be blessed. You might want to sit in the back next time. (laughs) God's conclusion, his feelings about relationships is that two are better than one. And better yet, a threefold cord 
is not easily broken. So what do we do? What do we do? Do we shape community by God's word, his infallible word? Did I say that right? Thank you, Jesus. I get fallible and infallible. It's messed up. It's, you don't want to do that. But do we stand and build our lives upon that regards, regarding community? Or do we just let it all go? And we have our work cut out for us, Hilltop Church. We really do. Why? Because our community is a fast-changing, transient community. And there's many here in this room that you don't feel like this is your church because you've come from other parts of America, other parts of the world, and you have a church there that loves you, probably even supporting you, probably even encouraging you as you're here in the city, getting your education and such. And so we have our work cut out for us because we go through relationships fast here in Cambridge. Our church in the last year has changed face probably three times in just, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I'll say six months. So we're going to have to work hard at community. Why am I saying this? Because we're going to have to be Working hard, not from our experiences, but the truth of God's word. See, when we understand that this is truth, this is God's words, two are better than one, we can work from that. If we just working out of our experience and this pastor hurt me and that friend said something, they didn't invite me here and they gossiped about me there, there wasn't enough hot coffee in the coffee maker, whatever it is. We're going to have to work hard. There's going to have to be a greater truth than the truth of our experiences that binds us together. You guys all in Cambridge make a pastor work hard. I'm going to the Bible Belt. I'm going to preach this message. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So we must let God's, all, all of that just to say we must let God's word shape our need for relationships, not our experiences. And, well, we found here in Scripture that... Um, Two are better than one. Last point in closing out today's message. Um, I want to be careful uh, to not do something here. Uh, I don't want to pit solitude against um, uh, isolation, I think. Yeah? I, I don't... I, I know that there are some who definitely are introverts. They need that time away. And sometimes when it comes to sermons about community... Um, people who prefer solitude get, you know, kind of hammered. And I just want to make a distinction there between solitude and isolation. I, 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 I am an introvert, if you could imagine such. I, I, seriously, I have to work hard to do this right now. I, I, am, I, I feel better behind the curtain. I feel better out of everybody's uh, eyesight. I, I, that's where I thrive. I don't thrive in situations like this. But but I've learned that this is the call of God on my life, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acclimate. I'm going to, under the grace and by the grace of God, change. But here's the deal. Um, you should never let your solitude um, drive you to excessive isolation, Netflix binge-watching isolation. Can I get an amen? You know, Stranger Things is on. You're like, I watch all 11 episodes right now. Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, for some of us who like isolation, some of us who like to pull away, withdraw, large crowds scare us. I mean, I get it, right? 
There, there's a big difference between isolation and solitude, and we would all agree that there's a, a need, an absolute need to pull away from time to time, to find time for yourself. But although we have to be careful that it doesn't go over that, that kind of, that, that, that line that just, it's, it, it's downright isolation. Uh, so there's times, right? Here's what we see in Scripture. There are times, like in Genesis, when uh, God sees Adam's, uh, Adam being alone is not good. It's bad. But then there are times like, let's take uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 with Elijah, where God instructs Elijah to hide himself, to pull away, right? If uh, the Scripture verse is over there, but it, on the screen it says this, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook, which is east of the Jordan. Jesus himself, friends, had times of pulling away from the crowds, right? He had times of just like taking himself out of the scene and out of the chaos and withdrawing. This is what it says in Luke chapter 5, 16. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to, I love this, desolate places and pray. Jesus drawing away to desolate places to pray, and he would often do that. Listen, I'm all for it. Just, just do what Jesus did, though, and pray. Jesus didn't just escape and, and binge watch Netflix while he withdrew. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm going to go there. He just didn't withdraw and, and, and you know, and, and daff out on social media for two hours, of course, he didn't have it, none of these things, but, you know, I'm sure there were vices, there were things in his generation, he could have easily, you know, got, I don't know, fishing, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, sleeping in boats, I don't, you know, whatever, I'm sure there was something, but Jesus withdrew, he prayed, so let's do like Jesus, let's just not isolate, right, let's do something meaningful when we find, or when we run to solitude. But this sermon is not about solitude. And this is where I close. It's about companionship. It's about friendship and it's about community. And and friends, I believe, this is just a part of what I've submitted to us this morning. Uh, The Bible strongly emphasizes and convincingly emphasizes that uh, we need both friendship, companionship, and community. In short, More friends are better than none. (laughs) And this need becomes very clear in times of inadequacy, accident, and adversity. As said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10, two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Listen, this is more than a father. Um, Let them be one message, okay? Um, This is a, a father they have a great need for one another message. This isn't a plea for greater unity in the church. This is a recognized need that we should all recognize and feel God's heart and God's desire regarding community. This isn't a blessed or blessed where brethren in unity dwell sermon. This is I can't do this without you type of sermon. This is, I can't say to my brother or my sister, I have no need for you, right? I mean, that's what Paul preached. Many times through Corinthians and other parts of Scripture. Listen, friend, this is what I know. God, I'm sorry, let me 
Replace that with the devil. Big difference. <laughs> Big difference. Oh, that for an ending. I'm almost going to set God as an uh, The devil hates community. The devil hates your relationships that are meaningful and have purpose. And so let's be sober. Let's be mindful of God's, of the devil. See, I almost said it again. The devil's attacks against community, against companionship, against friendships. I need you. You need me, believe it or not. And maybe after today's sermon, you're convinced that you don't need me. <laughs> For that, I wouldn't blame you. But even if you are, I still stand upon those words. You need me. I need you. And we need each other. Let's pray.